I am Bo Ellis Breedlove, and this is the June Bug. Welcome to the fourth episode of Season 2 of The June Bug. As you know, we took a bit of a summer hiatus for the past couple weeks, and we appreciate you hanging with us through the break. In our last episode, Episode 3, we learned more about the period when Birdie was separated from her children. However, She left us without a big piece of the story, something she has guarded tightly as a secret for the majority of her life, a private shame, a story she is now ready to share as the hours of her life count down to its finale. Details in the story, such as names and places, have been altered or fictionalized to preserve privacy. Episode 4 10 p.m. I once had a convertible. The lingering warmth from the bath quickly faded. Bertie had become so frail and delicate, particularly in the past week. Her body had little to no ability to retain any warmth as she began to shudder and shiver from the cold of her bedroom. The heat in the house was set to 78 degrees, and Niccolo dripped with sweat from the warm bath. Though he could now see, Bertie was already succumbing to the cold. A gentle evening breeze from an open bedside window that had comforted Bertie just a short time before, now invigorated a frigid fear and apprehension within her. 
What, she wondered, would death be? Nothingness? Cold, barren isolation? Would there be a life across the threshold awaiting her rebirth? Perhaps a face she would know and be comforted by, someone familiar, or perhaps a dream state, a whimsical apparition that would dance into eternity. Questions lingering on her mind. This was a curiosity Bertie had often entertained and explored in recent weeks and months. The difference between fantasy and faith, what would become of her in the afterlife if there was an afterlife, and also how the physical process would unfold and where that line was drawn between stark reality and faith. Death would come slowly and progressively, she anticipated. The medication would ease her into a controlled decline. Her blood oxygen would decrease, not quickly, but perhaps over many minutes, maybe even hours. Slowly, she would lose consciousness and slip into a deep slumber, an endless dream-filled rest. Is that the afterlife? Our soul fleeing into a dreamscape that is never ceasing? Bertie's melancholy internal monologue was silenced by the untimely tolling of the mantle clock. It was racing Bertie to her death. The time was 9.30, but the clock already tolled for 10 p.m. As the porcelain ballet commenced, Bertie recalled a Sunday morning long ago. A morning she had sat impatiently waiting for the clock to toll 10 a.m. as she awaited her mother-in-law's arrival. The war had consumed the early years of Bertie's first marriage. Children had been born and raised between their father, Clark's, home visits and trips overseas. He had not seen the front or been engaged in combat. Clark would return home to Luella whole and undamaged by the battles, a fate many of his contemporaries envied as they returned to lives ripped apart by injuries from engagement. His role was a safe one, practical, 
Most of the lengthy months he spent away from home were in an office in D.C. or another near Pearl Harbor. You see, Clark managed office operations for a general, one of those ancient men that came from a time before machine guns and tanks, a man filled with knowledge and expertise that served little to no purpose in modern warfare. Like he, his staff was relegated to office spaces and paperwork. Birdie has not spoken his name in decades. The act was too painful. Clark. Clark's early years were spent on his family's farm outside Boise, but his education eventually took him to Seattle, where he was destined to meet Miss Luella Pierce. It was on a shopping excursion for his mother's birthday when the two had their first encounter. He was a foreigner in the women's department at the Bon Marche in downtown Seattle, and his uncomfortable unfamiliarity was an endearing setting for his first encounter with his future wife. The sight of a beautiful young woman perusing a selection of scarves seemed an ideal opportunity. He approached and introduced himself. Luella agreed to help him choose a gift for his mother. And from that brief exchange, their romance blossomed. Four months passed before they were wed at the King County Courthouse, witnessed by a judicial clerk and Clark's cousin, Fred. Even early in their marriage, Clark knew the disturbances in Europe would eventually reach America, and he wanted to do his part. Having a young wife, though, he feared losing his life at the front. So he utilized his college education, becoming an officer early on during the European War, and securing himself a position that would keep him away from the front. But it would also take him away from Luella. The two agreed it was inevitable. Every family would eventually be touched by the conflict. Their sacrifice was modest. When Clark left for his first trip to D.C., he ensured that his wife was comfortably situated in a new cottage near the college campus in Boise. Luella had friends and Clark's family nearby to help care for her. As months turned into years, the work trips grew longer and more frequent. The fighting intensified. Clark found himself absent from both his children's births. 
Irregardless, Luella faithfully supported and adored him, writing him every other day and patiently awaiting his letters to arrive in the mail. As the years passed, Luella developed her budding talent as a photographer. She took portraits of dozens of young families, just like hers, without the fathers present. Mementos women sent off to their men fighting at the front. All the while, Luella saved as much money as she could. Her savings were for a prize she intended on presenting her husband with once the war was over and he finally returned home. Luella wanted to surprise Clark with a convertible. Clark was released from his service to the general on Tuesday, November 21st, 1944. It was two days before Thanksgiving. He wouldn't arrive home until the day after Thanksgiving, but when he did, it was to the welcome sight of his wife and two young children. Luella had diligently prepared a late Thanksgiving feast. Though her culinary abilities were never finely tuned, she managed to prepare an extravaganza of American delights for her husband. A whole roasted turkey, mashed yams with whipped cream and cinnamon, a fig and cranberry jam, baked tomatoes stuffed with bacon, breadcrumbs, and blue cheese, apple pie with a rich buttery crust served alongside homemade vanilla ice cream. The weather that weekend was oddly warm for November in Idaho. Luella would remember that for the rest of her life. Sunday was sunny, 69 degrees. The sky was blue and void of a single cloud. Luella admired the scene from her living room window. Nude tree branches and lush evergreens basking in the sunlight. Luella awaited the mantel clock to chime 10 a.m. as she spied for the sight of her mother-in-law's old farm truck pulling up to the house. She had arranged for her mother-in-law to watch the children so she and Clark could drive their new convertible into the countryside. A small fruit orchard outside Boise had a little roadside cafe that served the best pumpkin pie Luella had ever tasted. She had just gone there the weekend before with her children. 
Luella was never good at making pumpkin pie, hence she made her flawless apple pie recipe for their Thanksgiving dinner. That was their destination, the roadside cafe. Luella drove the convertible through the winding country roads, impressing her husband with her newfound passion for cars. The cover of towering evergreens shaded the curves leading to the orchard. Neither of them saw the sunlight glistening off black ice coating the road. The convertible leaned into a curve and began to slide out of control. Luella attempted to right the car, but overcorrected as the duo sped into an uncontrolled spin. The car glided off the road and towards an irrigation ditch. The passenger side leaned over into the ditch as the convertible rolled. Clark was killed instantly. Luella survived almost without a single scratch. Her husband had only been home for 37 hours when Luella found herself holding his lifeless body alongside the road. Are you a writer or an artist? Do you need help bringing your creative vision to life? Breedlove Creative Enterprises specializes in content editing and production for artists and authors. We work together to create new and unique media that will capture your audience. Visit bebreedlove.com to view BCE's client portfolio and schedule a free consultation. You don't have to go it alone. Trust Breedlove Creative Enterprises to make your project a success. Breedlove Creative Enterprises is proud to produce The Junebug.
the events that took place that November Sunday had been a closely guarded secret for many years. When Luella arrived at her family home on Lake Union just a few weeks later, she had concocted a vague story about him dying in the war. Mr. and Mrs. Pierce were naive to his role, so they did not question this. It was an all too familiar tale. Louis and Louise were too young to understand what had happened, but as they grew older and began to ask questions, their mother told them the same story. He was brave, he was intelligent, and he was kind, and he died serving his country. It wasn't until Louise's high school graduation in Memphis in the spring of 1958 that Luella finally revealed the truth. She hoped that her daughter would understand the difficulty in sharing such a horrific tale with her children when they were so young. She anticipated, nay, hoped that Louise and Louis would feel that their mother had dutifully sheltered them from the traumatic incident. To Bertie's dismay, it instead ignited resentments both Louise and Louis had harbored since their abandonment as young children on the farm. They now saw their mother as a liar, a fraud, a murderess. Louise left home the following week and moved back to Boise. Two weeks later, she sent Louis train fare so he could come be with her. Louis snuck out of the house in the middle of the night. Neither of them spoke to their mother for years afterwards. Bertie had come so far since that November in 1944. But now she felt that it was all lost once more. As she shivered under the covers of her bed, Bertie once more experienced that November day that had seemed so beautiful and yet slipped into a frigid nightmare by the side of a road that she could no longer remember the name of. Niccolo closed the bedroom window. Bertie reached out to stop him. Leave it, she said. Leave it open. I need, I need to feel the cold. Bertie desired to cherish every experience her final hours would offer, even this pain, this cold. It 
was getting late in the evening now. But Bertie asked Niccolo to call her children. Earlier attempts had failed. Voice messages left, impressing upon Louise and Louis that this may be their final opportunity to speak with their mother. But still, no return calls. Niccolo dialed Lewis's number first. As anticipated, no answer. He passed the phone to Bertie. Lewis, my baby boy, she said meekly. I just want you to know, I did my best, and I love you. Niccolo called Louise next. To his surprise, she at last answered. He immediately passed the phone to Bertie as she lit up at the sound of her daughter's voice. Niccolo could not hear what Louise said, but whatever it was, it was brief. The call lasted only a few moments before Bertie returned the phone to Niccolo. She wants to talk to you. Louise? Niccolo asked. Niccolo, uh, thank you for being there. I don't have to explain why I'm not, but I want you to know I'm glad you are. She hung up before any more can be said. Rainfall began once more as the light sound of raindrops falling on rhododendron leaves pattered through the dark night. Bertie closed her eyes and quickly slipped into slumber. Niccolo waited diligently until he was certain she was asleep. Leaving her bedside to take a brief rest in the neighboring bedroom, Nico heard Bertie say softly, This is him testing you.
The June Bug is produced by Breedlove Creative Enterprises. Original music composed by Bo Ellis Breedlove. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can also help support this podcast and the June Bug Project by becoming a supporting member on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash the June Bug. Thank you for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Stay tuned for the next installment of The June Bug.